Good afternoon, my fellow ballers. Welcome back to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. I am your host, Tyler Todd, and today we have two segments to cover. We're going to be talking about the absolutely hideous Chargers game last night against the Kansas City Chiefs. And second, we're going to delve in a little bit more to Steph Curry now being the all-time three-point field goal leader ever in NBA history because what he did is worthy of talking about for days, even months. The guy seriously is incredible. But first, we got to talk about the Chargers and the Chiefs. So this is an article from NFL.com from writer Kevin Petra. So obviously the Chargers lost last night in a, I would say, shootout game when they easily could have won the game. But the final score was 34-28 to Kansas City, and the Chargers could have won. Easily could have won the game, but that wasn't the case. But here we go with the article. So starting off, so three times the Los Angeles Chargers faced fourth down, manageable field goal range Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. Three times, Coach Brandon Staley eschewed a potential three points to go for it. Each failed, and LA lost 34-28 to in overtime. On the game's opening drive, the Chargers failed on fourth and goal from the five-yard line, on a scary play in which tight end Donald Parham wound up hospitalized after hitting his head on the turf. And if any of you have not seen it, if you would like to see it so you can understand how bad it was, the guy, I mean, the clips on YouTube, highlights of the game, obviously, but the guy literally was non-contact, literally was going to catch the ball, just slammed his head and literally knocked himself out. And his arms were shaking, seizing up, and it's just a terrible thing. So if you would like to see that, if people are squeamish, I probably would suggest not going to watch it. But if you'd like to further know about the injury, then just go and watch the clip. On the final play of the first half on fourth and goal from the one-yard line, Justin Herbert had Keenan Allen open, but defensive back Daniel Sorensen batted the ball down. Just uh, Literally, if Herbert just lofted it to him, it would have been a touchdown, but threw it directly at him. The third failure came on the Chargers' opening drive of the third quarter on 4th and 2 from the Kansas City 28-yard line, passing up a potential 45-yard field goal. And, yeah, the misfires wiped out a potential 9 points. But for head coach Brandon Staley, that's not the way he looks at it. He wanted 7 points each time. So this is what Staley had to say on that topic. For where my mindset is, I I know that the quickest way to win a game like that is to score touchdowns. Not field goals, especially considering who's on the other side, he said after the loss. To me, when you feel like you're in an advantage situation, when you don't feel like it's a gamble, and you feel like this is an advantage for you, then that's going to be our mindset. I don't think that any decision that I made tonight was a gamble. We felt like it was an advantage situation for us. That's why we did it. If we didn't feel like that was the case, then we would have kicked a field goal or we would have punted. That's the way that we're going to do things around here. I know, I know that our team embraces that mindset. We're going to continue to do it every game we play moving forward. So I understand sticking to your guns, but obviously that costs you the game. If the Chargers had kicked field goals, changing the overall ten- tenure of the game, and potentially forcing the Chiefs to play with more urgency earlier and still ended up losing, many would decry, you don't beat Patrick Mahomes kicking field goals. Staley believes his best shot to beat the Chiefs is to go for it. Sometimes it works in his favor. On Thursday, it obviously did not. Let's not forget, the Week 15 matchup was for the division lead, largely because Staley went for it on fourth down in a big spot against the Chiefs in Week 3 and converted via penalty, leading to an L.A. victory. Otherwise, Kansas City would have already owned a commanding division lead. 
So if you think about it that way, maybe trying to spark that same kind of outcome from the first time they played. Because when Brandon Staley went for it in that game, that was the first time we saw Staley go for it in the Staley Charger era. And that was when we started making every fourth down pretty much after that kind of confidence. So maybe he just wanted to kind of recycle it, but obviously it did not work. It did not transition in this game. That needed context underscores Staley's mentality throughout the season. He's going to trust his best players to make plays, and rightfully so. It's a do-or-die mentality that has, won LA, that has won LA games this season, and it's true. Literally, if we don't go it on fourth in that Kansas City game, we don't win. And obviously, there's been games this year where we have gone for it on fourth. I don't remember the game specifically, but I remember watching the games and us going for it on fourth and being, wow, that needed to happen or we would have lost. But for Thursday, it hurt. But Staley isn't going to change his identity after a defeat. Like he said, that's going to be the mindset no matter who we play. He said, I felt really comfortable with all those decisions. The first one, it was a perfect pass. Then you have this really tragic thing happen on the way down. The one at the end of the half, I loved that. We just missed tight end Jared Cook on the stick. That's the way that we are going to play around here. That's the way we are going to play. When we have a quarterback like ours and we have an offense like ours, that's the way we are going to play because that's how you need to play against Kansas City for sure. That's how we are going to become the team that we are ultimately capable of being by playing that way. I'm really proud of our guys. I thought we competed like champions today. They made a couple of more plays in the fourth quarter and in overtime than we did. I felt like our guys laid it on the line tonight. I'm very, very proud of them for that. On Thursday night, LA became the first team since at least 2000 to fail on fourth and goal twice in the first half per NFL research. The Chargers failed to get points on three drives that ended inside of the Chargers the Chiefs' five-yard line, two turnovers on downs, and one fumble lost by Joshua Kelly, marking just the second time in the last 30 years that a team had zero points on three drives inside the five-yard line. Last team was Browns in Week 5, 2017 versus the Jets. The Chargers ran 12 plays from the five-yard line or closer that did not result in a touchdown, tied for most since 1991. It's always tough, and you'd love to be able to convert those, Herbert said. I think we need to do better on third downs so that we're not in those situations, but we believe in each other. We believe in the guys in the locker room in that huddle, and we believe in the defense. I think that's a statement of trusting everyone on the field and off the field as well. We love to be put in those situations. Unfortunately, we didn't convert as many as we would have liked to have today, but we're going to ride with each other, and we're going to be right back. For players... Knowing Staley trusts them to make plays in critical situation adds a vote of confidence. The Chargers went 2-5 two, two on fourth downs and 4-7 four of seven in the red zone. Moving the ball up and down the field all night, the only LA punt came on its final possession in regulation. The only time in 10 drives they didn't take a snap in Chiefs territory. So, okay, so you have to look at it that way too. That's a huge, you know, that's a good positive to take from the game. Yes, you're not converting in the end zone, which is very important, and you're not, you know, converting on fourth down when you really need to, but hey, you're only punting once in the entire game, kid. That means the offense has good time of possession, and they're moving the ball down the field, and you're not giving it up as much. So yeah, that's, I think that's still a really good thing to take away from the game. Although, the Chiefs prepared for the fourth down calls, and the defense repeatedly made great plays to keep points off the board. That's what they do, said Coach Andy Reid, who also went for it on fourth down from the two-yard line and failed. They do it with everybody. It wasn't just us. We knew that coming into the game, if it was fourth down, the head coach has said it. He said that it is like third down to them, but you have to stop them. Our guys got enough of those to help. 
We kind of went through the same thing. We got stopped too. But it is a long field to drive. Both teams ended up driving the length of the field with pretty good drives. In the end, Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs iced the victory in overtime without allowing Herbert to touch the ball. The loss dropped the Chargers to 8-6. and six. Now two games back of the 10-4 and four Chiefs in the AFC West. LA is currently the number five seed in the conference ahead of this weekend's games. So with that being said, them being five, they are the number one seed in the wild card right now. And the Chiefs are the number one seed, I think, actually, they are the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty grim. I, not grim, I'm just very, I'm just upset because that's just something that's so very easily obtainable, that game. Is you talk about, we? I mean, I literally just went through the whole thing. Like, literally, so many opportunities to win. Like, literally, dude. The game literally could have been yours. But, nope, just, again, dude, it's just so hard being a Charger fan, man. Like, literally, so many things always go wrong for us. And it's never, it just never pans out like we want to. But, right now, in all the divisions, the AFC East, the Patriots are 9-4 and four and first. Obviously, the Chiefs are in first with the in the AFC West with ten and four, and they have the best record in the AFC and are in first. AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens are in first at eight and five, and the Titans are first in the AFC South at nine and four. So the Chiefs have the best record in the AFC and are in first place as the number one seed, and then the Chargers are the fifth seed. So they have the first team in the in the wild card selection. So at least we are still in that. You look at the Chargers. Let me let me see. If we can pull up that schedule. See what we got for them. Here we go. So, we last three games of the year, all three are very winnable. We have the Texans next week after Christmas, and then we have the Broncos, and then the Raiders. So all three games are very obtainable. All three games are very winnable. And if we went out, that's eleven and six. It's a pretty good record. At least we're not. I I at least want to win ten games. So if we win Texans. Raiders, okay, so be it. But if we lose to the Broncos again or something, like whatever. But I would love to win at least 10 games because we really need to. This team deserves to go to the playoffs, and the roster is very worthy of it. And we are well coached this year. It's just bad mistakes like previous years. But we have the roster to, you know, make really make an impact in the playoffs and in the regular season. But a lot of the games, again, it's that Chargers curse of losing by, you know, multiple play like multiple little mistakes and then like scores of like three or four five six seven points and it's just frustrating but I'm very excited for them obviously this was just a very tough game everyone kind of expected a shootout we just happened obviously it was the same thing in the first game we barely beat the Chiefs in the first matchup in Kansas City because of that gutsy fourth play call so if we don't go for that fourth down call I mean, do we even beat the Chiefs? Who knows? And then this game, we go for it too many times on fourth down, and we don't beat them. So it's honestly just back and forth. But I like how they played. Obviously, still got to fix some things up. But moving on to next week, we got Houston. Definitely got to win that game for sure to get back on track. Okay, so now we got to move on to basketball because talking about Steph Curry, it's I'm just I'm completely in awe. So this is an article from the NBA from NBA.com. So Steve Kerr scanned the box score and alerted the room to the figure popping off the page, illustrating Steph Curry's impact on the game. In the aftermath of Curry becoming the NBA's all-time leader in career three-pointers, Tuesday in a 105-96 victory over the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, probably no better other arena, no better place to beat the record at, really to set the record for real. Kerr counted the combined attempts from long distance for both teams. There were 82 three-pointers taken tonight, he said. So on a night when he broke the record, the sum of both teams' three-point attempts was kind of a testament to Steph's impact on the league. It's a different game now, obviously, but Steph made a different game. 
Curry nailed a pair of first-quarter triples to move past Ray Allen and seize the top spot on the NBA's list for all-time made three-pointers and finished the game with five threes and a team-high 22 points. The Warriors guard broke the record over the course of 789 games, 511 fewer than it took Allen, 1,300 to reach the milestone. Curry has said that once he breaks the record, everything else would just be about how far can you push it. Well, Curry now needs to knock down just 23 more three-pointers to reach 3,000 for his career, a threshold no player in NBA history has reached. So as right now, this is the all-time leaderboard right here. Steph Curry is now number one at 2,999 made three-pointers in 789 games. Second, obviously, is Ray Allen, 2,973 made three-pointers with through 1,300 games. And then third is Reggie Miller at 2,560 made three-pointers in, in 1,389 games. So that is the current top three leaderboard for the all-time made three-pointers. Curry wasted no time launching his first shot of the game from deep, sinking a 29-footer barely one minute into the action to give the Warriors a 5-2 lead. The record-setting bucket came at the 732 mark on a play that Curry didn't expect, even expect to get the ball. Curry said Golden State runs the play often, but Andrew Wiggins never passes out of that play, according to Draymond Green. I made the first one in transition, Curry explained. Then, like the next two or three possessions, I got the ball coming down, and I could see everybody on that end of the stadium just start to slowly stand up, and there was like a buzz. So, I didn't want to rush it because that's when you kind of get in your head and try to like force the moment. The way that it happened, Wiggs, Wiggs came off a screen. I kind of floated back to the three-point line. I didn't think I was getting the ball. He hit me. I thought about nothing. I just let it go. After that, the motion started kicking. So I just wanted to let it come. It was a pretty special moment. Splash. Kavon Moody immediately took a foul to force a stoppage in play. And officials allowed for an extended timeout to the packed house at Madison Square Garden could properly acknowledge Curry's historic milestone. Curry walked around the court hugging several people, then sat down on the bench before sharing a long moment with Green. I felt a lot of gratitude and excitement for him, Green said of their long embrace near the bench. I always say... If you can't pass Steph Curry the ball for a three-point shot, shame on you. If you can't screen for Steph Curry and get him open, you probably shouldn't be on the court as a screener. <laughs> he makes my job a lot easier, and to share that moment with him, I'm in year 10 now. Every game I've played, he's been my teammate. To share that moment with someone that's as special to me as Steph is, that was a really big deal. To see him have that movement, I was or moment, I was just honored to be a part of it. Curry also embraced former record holder Allen, while childhood idol Reggie Miller, on the call for TNT, filmed the historic event with the smartphone only a few feet away. Celebrities on hand for the MSG moment included musician Alicia Keys, former NFL star and TV host Michael Strahan, comedian Pete Davidson, and Steph's parents, Dell and Sonia Curry. Steph would eventually hand out the record-setting ball to his father, Dell. I shot it. I backtracked. I saw my pops over on the side. Curry said, I saw my teammates going crazy. I felt the whole buzz of the whole arena, so it was special. Travel issues from the Warriors getting to Madison Square Garden only heightened the drama. After Golden State edged the Indiana Pacers on Monday to avoid consecutive losses for the first time all season, Kerr and a few players took care of postgame interviews. But the Warriors soon received news about mechanical issues affecting their chartered plane. That forced the team to hang around Gain Gainbridge Fieldhouse 
for approximately an hour, according to Kerr, as they awaited word on whether the Warriors would even be able to fly out of Indianapolis. Negative. So the Warriors loaded up the buses and headed back to the Conrad Hotel to spend another night in town. They didn't depart Indianapolis until 10.35 a.m. on Thursday for a 7.30 p.m. tip-off at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) Kerr accurately predicted the travel woes wouldn't affect the team. Still, in the first two games of Golden State's current five-game road trip, Curry had connected on just 8 of 29 from three-point range. Kerr attributed that to a combination of opponents selling out to stop Curry, who he believes had been pressing somewhat. That's all over now. And in Curry's post-game speech in the locker room, where Clay Thompson's jersey was situated right next to the point guards for the occasion, he touched Kerr, Green, Wiggins, and the rest of the team with a heartfelt expression of gratitude. Kerr called the speech Vintage Steph, adding that he spoke to the team about how much his teammates, the game, and the process of grinding through a season meant to him. I love to shoot the ball. It's something I've been doing since I was three years old, Curry explained. You love the work that you put in. You love the results that come from it. But I told them it's been an amazing journey being a warrior for these 12 and a half years with all the guys that have set screens for me, that have passed me the ball, that have bought into the system that creates the beautiful warrior style and brand of basketball, and all of that plays into this moment. So I hope that they appreciate it as much as I do. Obviously, I've got to put the ball in the basket, but it doesn't work without everybody that's been a part of this journey. Curry lit up the Knicks for 11 three-pointers at Madison Square Garden back in February 27, 2013, which ranks as the most in NBA history in the arena by an opposing player. Allen drilled eight threes at the Garden back in 02. In the postseason, both Allen, eight, and Miller, six, rank among the top three and three-pointers made by a visitor in a playoff game at Madison Square Garden. So obviously that is the arena to set any kind of shooting record, <laughs> considering all three of those guys are the three are the top three holders for the record. <laughs> Curry expressed plenty of deference for both Allen and Miller, who opened the door for the point guard to take the game to new heights. I never wanted to call myself the greatest shooter until I got this record, Curry said. So I'm comfortable saying that now. No better scenario to have Ray in the building, have Reggie on the call, to have my family here. Curry even admitted that perhaps Curry's story transcends sports, pointing out the point guard changed the way the game is played, not to mention the way that young players think about the game. It's definitely a story that rings true to a lot of people who aren't huge basketball fans, Kerr said. Steph appeals to everyone, not just hard, hardcore fans who are looking at his three-point percentage. I think fans are attracted to him just because of his humility, his story, and how hard he's had to work. So, from that standpoint, it transcends sports somewhat. I just think it's a great testament to someone who is gifted, but, but who has earned everything through work. Beyond the gifts that he was given, he had to work so hard. And he's always been so gracious and aware of how many people helped him along the way. That's one of my favorite things about him. What a truly, really, a truly incredible record to have set, to break, and now to hold that record and to continue playing. Because Steph Curry, people, let me remind you also, he's only 33 years old. He will easily probably play for another five, six years. You're telling me that guy won't reach insane heights of three-pointers? That guy is probably going to hit another 1,000, maybe even 1,500. Who knows? But the guy is absolutely incredible, okay? Seriously. Maybe not a thousand. That's that's pretty gnarly. Fifteen hundred is gnarly too. Because I just realized he just he's a little over. He's almost to three thousand. He's played twelve and a half years. So that's pretty crazy if he's hitting that much. But maybe two another two hundred. You know, he he probably could get to four thousand. Maybe if he if he's really hitting every year like he is now, and if he plays for another 
five, six years, he he potentially could hit 4,000. So, yeah, Steph Curry, even though I did not like him for the longest time and I hated the Warriors for the longest time, obviously, I'm a huge fan now because before, you know, it's hard when I was, you know, I've always been a LeBron James fan. So wherever LeBron went, I always followed wherever he went. So obviously I was a Cavs fan. And obviously the Warriors played the Cavs five years in a row for the finals, you know, beat the <laughs> beat the Cavs so much. And it was terrible. And I always hated seeing that. Not five years, excuse me, four, four years in a row. But it's just frustrating because Steph would always, you know, just torch the Cavs. And like they were just super obnoxious. And he was kind of annoying, just sticking his tongue out and just being weird and stuff. But now, obviously, being older, because that was when I was like a little bit younger too, and kind of just like immature with like being a sports fan. But now, obviously, He's an amazing basketball player, an amazing human being, and he's awesome to the game. And obviously, like Steve Kerr said, he has changed the game of basketball in that regard of three-point shooting. That was never – you look back at you know, Shaq's day. You look back at Kobe's day. Guys weren't shooting threes. It was all about ISO. It was all about driving and kicking. And if they were kicking, it was, it was to like a mid-range shot. It never was shooting the three. Really, you were only shooting the three – Really, if you were like completely wide open, like even if like you had a guy in your face and maybe a deep, no, 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 it literally was only if you were wide, wide open. The the complete framework of the game has changed, but maybe for the better because it makes it very exciting. But anyway, thank you, Steph, and thank you, NFL, and thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Ball with Tyler Todd. I will see you all on the next one Tuesday at 11 a.m. Peace.